the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. See, this was a church, to their credit, that knew absolutely nothing about the church. This was a church filled with people who didn't know how the church was supposed to operate and function. After all, they didn't have a manual on church growth. They didn't have a denominational guidebook to turn to. They didn't have any seminars or conferences where the so-called experts could teach them how to do it. In fact, these folks didn't even have a written New Testament to look at. That first church in Jerusalem must have been an interesting place. For a while, no one could say, we've never done it that way before. They followed what Jesus had taught the apostles, who, in turn, taught the people. That's the idea of a model or pattern. We need to keep asking ourselves, what did they do in Jerusalem instead of what are they doing in Chicago or Los Angeles or wherever? We're glad you joined us today on Verse by Verse Radio. This is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside is a church that is trying to follow the New Testament model. Come visit us sometime and see what God is doing. The church is located on Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida, halfway between U.S. 19 and the beaches. Call us for directions and service times. Our number at the church is 727-441-1714. Our Bible teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff. This series of messages is called The Church According to the New Testament. Now it's time to listen to the Word of God. Here's Pastor Steve. A number of years ago, Michelle and I attended our class's reunion at Moody Bible Institute. We have been to a number of them, but... Uh, on this particular occasion, some things stand out in my mind. Now, you should know that most of Moody's graduates are in full-time Christian service. It is a Bible institute. It is a training facility for individuals going into ministry. So it was very natural for us at that reunion, for those in the pastorate, to discuss how their ministries were going. And to my dismay... I discovered that most of these pastors had absolute horror stories to tell about how difficult it had been serving in their churches. They told of battles with unsaved, not unsaved, but unspiritual people within the church, some who might be unsaved, but unspiritual people in the church, congregations who refused to obey the teaching of Scripture, and simply challenges to their pastoral leadership by self willed members. And I, and I want you to know this kind of nightmarish experience is not unique to those who are graduates of Moody Bible Institute. Over the years, I have been saddened to hear of many pastors who have told me about similar experiences of heartache in the ministry. And, and I'm convinced that one of the reasons that congregations give their pastors such a difficult time is because they simply don't understand what the Bible says and teaches concerning how God intends his church to function. 
However, I must say, in all fairness, that it may also be the case and a contributing factor here that some of these pastors don't understand what Scripture has to say about how to shepherd and treat God's people. That may enter into it as well. But in any case, it is important for us to understand that local churches need to receive biblical instruction about what God says concerning his church, especially how the local church is to function. So, as you'll recall, we began a mini-series. It shouldn't be very long, but a mini-series in which I endeavored to address a few key issues concerning what the scriptures say in general about the church, but also in particular about the local church. In the last message of this series, we began to look at a very important passage of scripture that focuses on one church, the original church, the first church, the church at Jerusalem. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And I want to read to you what Luke, the human author, of Acts tells us about this unique church. Starting in verse 41, we read, So then those who had received his word, that is the word that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, were baptized, and that day there were added, meaning added to the church, about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, Luke, the human author, the inspired writer of the book of Acts, gives us some very significant information here concerning not only the founding of this church, but also the initial progress of this New Jerusalem Fellowship in its early stages of infancy and growth. And the reason... And it's important that we know this. The reason that Luke gives us so many facts about this church in particular is because this is the very first church to ever exist. Up to this point, there's never been another church. There's been Israel, there's been God's people, but not the local church. Therefore, this church, the Church of Jerusalem, naturally sets the pace and becomes the standard and model for all churches that would follow this church. Listen, it's very common that in that in certain cities there is a church called First Church. Uh, it might be First Baptist, First Presbyterian, and then it's followed by the name of the city that that church is located in. But churches like that are only the first church of that particular denomination or association. They're not really the first church. The Church of Jerusalem really was. They were the original and only authentic first church. And because of their uniqueness, it was intended, this church was intended by God to become a model for all other churches. Listen to these important words by Dr. Richard Mayhew of uh, the Master's Seminary. He wrote a book called, What Would Jesus Say About Your Church? Here's what he writes. By virtue of its absolute newness, the Jerusalem church provides the best portrait of what Christ 
designed the church to be. Human beings had not yet had time or opportunity to desecrate her. Jerusalem represents the prototype for all subsequent churches. The effect of salvation was fresh for everyone. The work of the Holy Spirit in salvation was powerful, and the desire of the congregation to glorify God in every aspect of their lives set the standard for all future churches to follow. The Jerusalem church, he writes, in its beginnings portrayed most clearly what God intended the church to be and to do, end of quote. See, this was a church, to their credit, that knew absolutely nothing about the church. This was a church filled with people who didn't know how the church was supposed to operate and function. After all, they didn't have a manual on church growth. They didn't have a denominational guidebook to turn to. They didn't have any seminars or conferences where the so-called experts could teach them how to do it. In fact, these folks didn't even have a written New Testament to look at. It hadn't been produced yet. It would be several years before the canon of Scripture came together. But what these people did have, this church at Jerusalem did have, what was most important, they had the Lord's apostles. They were the first pastors of the church, the first leaders of the church. These were Christ's hand-picked and personally trained men. And these were the Holy Spirit-inspired, guided, directed apostles first leaders of the church, and the things that the apostles emphasized and and the priorities they made in this church in establishing this brand new fellowship are the very things, folks, that all churches are supposed to emphasize and make as their priorities. See, what we have here in the church of Jerusalem is a divine blueprint. It's it's the pattern, the God-inspired pattern given to us by our Lord concerning the way that he wants every local church to function in terms of the timeless principles and the timeless standards that are brought out and were actually realized in this church. He wants it for our church as well. See, the church of Jerusalem in its early days before sin was able to infect her was a marvelous church, an incredibly healthy church, one that was healthier than any church that has ever existed. Not only did this church have the great spiritual leadership of the apostles, but the membership of this church consisted of thousands of recent converts, brand new babes in Christ, who were zealous and passionate about their faith. They were teachable. And as we noted, they didn't bring into the church any preconceived views of how this church was to be. They didn't bring from other congregations, well, this is the way we did it in our church up north or in our church out west. They didn't know anything about that. And so like sheep looking to their shepherds, they just followed the instruction and and the direction of the apostles. And the result is that a very healthy congregation emerged, one that 2,000 years later we're still studying, we're still learning from, and yes, we want to copy. We want to be just like them in terms of timeless principles and truths. And so, as we look at these verses in Acts chapter 2, we see that Luke reveals certain activities of this new church at Jerusalem. He doesn't reveal anything like this in any other church in the book of Acts. He may tell us a little bit here and there about various churches, but nothing like this. And the reason he does this is because he wants us to know what made this church so great. He tells us about certain activities, certain things that, that were going on there. And those activities constitute 
the marks of a healthy church. Now, there are three of them that we want to look at. Last time we studied this, we looked at two of these marks of a healthy church. I want to review them quickly, and then we want to focus on the third one. Now, as you may recall from our last study of this passage, we said that the first mark of a healthy church that we see in this church of Jerusalem is that it was a teaching church. It's a church where they were taught and they learned. Verse 42 begins by saying, they, meaning the church, they were continually, not just a little bit, but continually devoting themselves, wholehearted devotion to the apostles' teaching. This was a church of brand new Christians who were serious about understanding the heart and mind of Christ. And so they wholeheartedly, Luke tells us, devoted themselves to what the apostles had to teach them. And what did the apostles teach them? Well, according to the Great Commission, which Jesus had given about eight weeks prior to this, these men were told to teach new believers all things that he had taught them. All that he had taught them for three years, they were to teach these new converts. That's exactly what the apostles did. They taught these new believers the truths that Jesus had instructed them in, as well as there, were, there was new truth that the Lord was revealing through the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, any church that wants to be healthy and wants to honor the Lord has to be committed to hearing from the apostles because these are Christ's special representatives. These are his inspired ambassadors. There's been nobody like them. There will be nobody like them. Now, you may say, yes, we want to learn from the apostles, but listen, there are no living apostles today. That's absolutely correct. They all died out in the first century, John being the last of the apostles to die. So how do we learn from the apostles? Well, we have their teachings preserved for us, supernaturally, by God, preserved for us. It's called the New Testament. The books, the letters of the New Testament, that's apostolic doctrine. That's why we spend so much time here at Lakeside studying the New Testament. Now, we don't want to neglect the Old Testament. Scripture says all Scripture is inspired and is profitable. So we certainly want to understand the whole counsel of God. But our focus is to be the New Testament, because these are the inspired writings of the apostles for church age saints, believers like us. This is the new covenant lived out in their writings. And that's what God intends for every Christian and every local church to study and learn from the apostles. See, without an understanding of the apostles teaching, we are at the mercy of satanically empowered false teachers who prey upon those who are ignorant of God's word, especially ignorant of the New Testament. Their goal is always, always to pull people away from the Bible to follow their own religious and philosophical errors and heresies. I want to show you a passage of scripture that addresses this issue. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Jude is the book just before the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's only one chapter, so we don't have to say Jude chapter. So and so we just say Jude, verses 3 and 4. Here's what Jude says. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. 
those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, what Jude tells us here is that it was in his heart at first. He intended to write a letter to these Christians about their common salvation. Perhaps it would have been a letter like Romans that emphasizes salvation, the grace of God. We're not sure. But in any case, the Lord changed his mind. The Holy Spirit compelled him to change his subject matter because of the threat that he now understood of false teachers who he said had infiltrated local churches. They crept in unaware, meaning that they were so subtle, nobody knew what was going on, like like snakes creeping about, slithering about. They They slithered into the local churches and they were teaching a heresy that said God's grace gives you a license to do whatever you want to do. Just live any way you want to live. And it really doesn't matter what Jesus said, because he's not your sovereign, supreme Lord. Somehow they combine that. They denied the sovereignty of Christ, his supremacy. That's what the word means here about the master, your only master and Lord. And they were saying you can live any way you want. So. In verse 3, Jude reveals that the key to dealing with these false teachers is this. The people are to contend, he says, which means to, to battle, to fight, contend earnestly for the faith. The faith is the body of truth that's been given to us. It's the apostles' teaching. He's not talking about your personal faith. Whenever there's a definite article before faith, it means the body of truth, the body of revelation. Contend earnestly for the faith or the truth, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. This is simply another way of saying that we are to cling to and fight for the truths that the apostles already have taught. Because what they taught the church is the substance of our faith. That's it. There's no more coming. What we have is what we're getting. That's it. Now, notice that Jude says that the body of truth that the inspired apostles taught the church in their letters and books of the New Testament. He said, it's been given once and for all. Do you see that? Once and for all. What that means is only once, never to be repeated. Never to be repeated. Once and for all, it's been given. God's word has been given to God's people as a sacred deposit. There's no new revelation that's coming from anyone outside of the original apostles. And I include Paul in that. Now, healthy, healthy churches understand that, that the Bible is our authority. Period. It's our authority. We believe that it's to be our priority. Why is it our priority? Why is it so important? Listen, because everything in the Christian life flows from an understanding of scripture to our foundation without the Bible. We're lost without the Bible. Then we go back to the days of the judges when every man did what was right in his own eyes. The Bible is our authority. It's our standard. So the church at Jerusalem was healthy because they were a teaching church. But Luke gives us a second mark of all healthy churches. Not only was this church a teaching church. Luke also tells us it was a loving church. So we read on in verse 42, we read they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching. And then he adds, and to fellowship. Now, what we learn from this statement by Luke is that the people 
in this Jerusalem church were not only learning about their new faith, but they were putting what they learned about their new faith into action, into action by loving one another. That's what he means by this. See, fellowship is simply another word for sharing or having things in common. That's precisely what it means. In fact, the primary thought behind this Greek word, which has actually infiltrated our language known as koinonia, this word that we translate fellowship, the heart of this word means commonness or commonality. You can really translate it that way. It's commonness, commonality. And when it's used in the New Testament, it always speaks of some kind of sharing, something that you're sharing or, or giving, something in common. Now, the members of this brand new church at Jerusalem, recognize that all of them, by virtue of their faith in Christ, they have been brought into a unique relationship through their common faith, their fellowship faith in Jesus Christ. And now they were part of something brand new, of a new divine family. Now, that's very interesting. I'll tell you why. Because this church was made up exclusively of Jewish people. Church of Jerusalem All Jewish people, they're all sons and daughters of one man called Abraham. They're all part of a family in that sense. But now they understood that by becoming believers in the Messiah, they had entered into a new kind of fellowship, a new kind of family and relationship with one another that did not exist prior to salvation, even though they were all part of the Jewish family. In fact, this is the first time in the New Testament that this particular Greek word for fellowship is even mentioned. And there's good reason for that, because this kind of spiritual fellowship centering around a common faith in Christ and the unity brought about by the indwelling Holy Spirit was brand new. It had never happened before. That's why this word's not mentioned even in the Gospels. This is brand new. Didn't exist until the church was formed on the day of Pentecost. And these new believers understand this brand new fellowship. Why? Because they have been just taught this by the apostles. They didn't figure this out on their own. They have been taught this by the apostles. And because they realized that they now shared a common life in Messiah, they didn't hesitate to share their possessions with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice verses 44 in Acts chapter 2 and verses 45. This is the outworking of what Luke means by They continued in fellowship. It says, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. There's that word again, fellowship. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, they demonstrated their fellowship. Note this. By their love for one another, which was expressed by selling their possessions and property and giving the proceeds to those in the church who had needs as those needs became known. See, here was a a church that understood that the heart of fellowship is to love others. How? By being generous, by being sacrificial in giving to them. By the way, they didn't sell everything right away and then just put it into a common pot. They didn't do that. No, they sold their property and possessions as needs became known. This wasn't a forced communism that everybody has to make the same thing. It wasn't that at all. Here's a need. I'll sell some property. I'll give you the money. 
that I got from selling it. That's how it worked. Now, this is the way that God intends his church to operate, whether it's in the first century or the 21st century. We are to love one another by giving whatever is necessary in assisting one another. It's almost hard for us to relate to people who aren't asking the question, what am I going to get out of this? We are far too interested in reducing the risk factors and increasing the profit margins. Selling something that belongs to us so that we can help someone who has a need seems like a great sacrifice to us, even though we have so much stuff we hardly ever use and don't really even need. We aren't necessarily self-centered, but we aren't focused on others either. I hope today's message has been a blessing to you. If you would like some help understanding what we're talking about, or just need someone to pray with you, give us a call at 727-239-0306. You can also contact us through our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's where you can go to listen to messages and download them, and not just the ones for this series. You can even order whole series of messages on CDs if you would rather have them in that format. You can do that on the website, or you can write us at Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Maybe you would consider giving a financial gift to support this ministry also. Thanks for joining us today. For everyone at Verse by Verse, I'm Jerry Pruden, and I'm looking forward to being with you again on our next broadcast. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.